You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Yes, it makes sense that if we're called the children of God, we would look like him, and he's the most generous being in the universe. So it would make sense that we also would reflect that generosity. Amen? Amen. I got a bit of a ring in my microphone here, but um, I was just talking with my kids this morning about they were putting together... Um, money to bring to church to, to give in the offering, and, and uh, they were asking the questions about the difference between tithe and offering. You know, the, the, um, the, the Lord, uh, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord's tithe and our offering. It all, it all belongs to the Lord, and he's given it to us, but um, there is this already spoken for sense that the tithe is the Lord's, and the offering is what we give to him above and beyond, and the tithe is really a a gift to us, to loose us from the love of money in our lives. Amen? I'm thankful that I'm in the house of a giving people. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 11. I want to share a message with you entitled Ears to Hear. Lord is moving in our midst. Amen? I mean, you can sense it in the air. that The Lord is moving. Um, last Sunday night was just uh, something to remember, a night to remember for sure. And I was telling my wife, it's always a good thing when you walk away from a Sunday night gathering and you're like, that was the best Sunday night gathering we've ever had. Like the Lord just showed up. It means that we're not settling for some sort of copy and paste experience, but instead we're coming with a heart of expectation that the Lord is going to meet us in a relevant way. And I, I say that not as a shameless plug for Sunday nights, but instead as, as your pastor, um, exhorting you to understand the strategicness of Sunday nights and why we've created them the way that we have. We do not do Sunday nights every Sunday. We do them about once a month, um, usually in alignment with a guest speaker that we have, some voice that we believe is meant to speak into our church in this moment. And... Um, and so I say that so you can mark your calendars for October 24th and November 7th. Uh, this will be two more Sunday nights services that we have coming in the near future, and I would just encourage you to not miss it. Uh, if you missed it last weekend, I don't, I don't want you to feel bad uh, other than I want you to come October 24th. There's that sense that I do want you to, to uh, for hunger to be stoked in your heart to make the most of these opportunities. There is something about the unity of Sunday nights, the spirit of unity, as all generations are gathered. You know, we have two services on Sunday morning, one service in the evenings that really draws all generations and all people together in a beautiful way. And uh, the fact that the kids join us at the end, I believe, is a, is a glimpse of heaven. Um, the kids, the youngest, come up all the way to the oldest amongst us, all generations. It is a beautiful thing. I'm really distracted by the fact that we have a guest here, Shelby Chizik. Will you stand up? This is amazing. Yes. Shelby, she is our missionary to the Netherlands, and um, I did not know you were going to be here this morning. That is so awesome. Uh, she is just rocking it over there, just in the midst of a pandemic, being willing to um, do what many others are not, and go abroad and, and represent Jesus in Rotterdam, Netherlands, uh, with 
Other missionaries from this, from this house, Josh and Angela Allen, who you guys heard, of, or heard from in August, we are excited you are here, Shelby. That's amazing. Um, shouldn't surprise attack us like that, you know? So, um, you know, she was, she was an Iowa State student. We have to have her share her testimony here or something. She, uh, she was an Iowa State student and just encountered Jesus. It was so beautiful seeing the transformation in her life from her freshman year to when she graduated. And... Um, and then she had to call God upon her life in such a beautiful way. She, she interned with Chi Alpha, and now she's a missionary in the Netherlands. Wow. Um, let's dive into God's word. Matthew chapter 11. I want to share a message with you entitled Ears to Hear. There's this phrase that Jesus repeats through the Gospels and then again in the book of Revelation. So in letters of red, where he says, to the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. To the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. What a peculiar saying. Because we all have ears. If you're hearing the sound of his voice, you have ears. But he's, he's talking about a spiritual dynamic, a spiritual reality of the way in which he works with humanity. Those who have a hard posture, spiritual ears to hear from him, let those ones hear him in that moment. So I want us to key into that here in Matthew chapter 11, because this is foundational to who we are as people of God, navigating the gospel being fleshed out in our lives, lived out in our lives day to day. A people that never depart from how we started in the ways of the kingdom, which was seeing Jesus for who he was, who we were in light of who he was, and that he was the only way to come into right standing with the Father in this way that just wrecks us so much so that we devote our lives to him. That's how we started. You had ears to hear in that moment with a spirit of humility that grace was poured out upon you. We are never meant to leave that posture of humility. And every day there's a grace available for us to hear a fresh word that is like food for our soul from our Savior. And so I want us to see that. I think this is just so urgently important for right here, right now. With everything happening on the earth right now, I believe the Lord is saying that very thing. To the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I'll just give you context uh, to where we're going to read. We're going to start reading in verse 25, but just let me give you a little context to give you uh, a picture of what's happening here. Um, so here in this moment, John the Baptist is actually in prison he hasn't been beheaded yet, but he's in prison and his mind is, is running. You know, he's, he's thinking about all the, the news that he's hearing about this, his cousin Jesus who is uh, becoming so famous for his mighty works of miracles and this message of the kingdom that he's proclaiming. And, and so John the Baptist sends his disciples, his followers, to go to Jesus to, to hear firsthand. He, he wants them to be sent out as messengers to come back and to report to him in prison you know, is Jesus truly the one that I was preparing for? Is he truly the one that the prophets were foretelling would come? Is he truly Messiah? And Jesus tells John the Baptist's disciples this very thing. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Just do that. Just go tell, tell John the Baptist what you've witnessed with your own eyes, like with your senses. Go and tell John the Baptist those things. Isn't that enough? The blind received sight, the deaf ears were opened, the good news of Jesus was proclaimed to the poor. But Jesus gets to the point then in verse 6, he says, and blessed 
is the one who is not offended by me. Because the reality is, all these people saw and heard the same things, but not all received him as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord. Because their hearts were not in a position, their spiritual ears were not in a place to actually see him or hear him for who he was. They were offended by him. It was never enough. Jesus, do something more to reveal your reality, your relevance to our life and to all the prophetic anticipation of your coming. Do more. But he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And so then in verse 15, that's where we see it, that phrase that we're keying in on. He says, yeah, John the Baptist was like Elijah. And yes, I am Messiah. And verse 15 says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he compares his generation, which I believe is still the case today. He says this generation is like a busy, bustling marketplace. Just picture it in your mind's eye. And these kids are in the marketplace and they're calling out to their friends that they'd come and play with them. But their friends ignore them. He says that's what this generation is like. There is like this indignant stubbornness in this generation to not see Jesus, to not respond to him calling out. And then in verse 20, he denounces a few cities, Bethsaida and Chorazin and and Capernaum, because these three cities specifically received more, um, they they were graced with more opportunity to see his miraculous power than other cities. So in, in one sense, there's like a higher responsibility. I think that should almost bring some humility to our hearts as well in this information age when all of this is so readily available to us. And how many versions and how many Bibles do we have in our homes? There is this sense of responsibility that we have to walk with a spirit of humility, that the grace of God would be poured out on us to be learners uh, and sit at, his, sit at his feet to receive all that he has for us and to not take it for granted. So he calls out these cities and says, woe to you, Chorus, and woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. And then we get to verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? That the gospel can be understood by kids and received by kids, and it can be received by the most elderly among us. It's no respecter of ages. There's this Uh, approachableness to the gospel that can speak to all people. He says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. His generous will was to make himself accessible to all people. That's who he is, just as we were just saying. He's so generous. He's so gracious. All things have been handed over to me by, by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So that maybe makes you scratch your head. So it's like the Lord plays hard to get, only to the ones to whom he reveals himself. But verse 28, that becomes, verse 27 is a stumbling block for many. 
for many that feel like God still needs to do something more to reveal himself to you. There's gotta be another miracle. There's, there needs to be another sign in the sky. There needs to be another epiphany moment. There needs to be an, another moment where he invades your life. But then verse 28 counters that with the genuine invitation of your Savior saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. We have this collision in this moment, the melding, the marriage of the sovereignty of the Lord to reveal himself in certain ways and in certain places and certain times to a people. That's on him. He is the one who has to actually declare the message, proclaim the message. We don't fabricate it. It's not make-believe. No, he is the one who's revealed it. That's on him. That's his sovereignty. But there is this genuineness to, to the, the Lord's workings in which he's looking for a people of free will, of love response to that revelation that actually say, I want to hear from you and that position themselves to hear from the Lord. Those two things can coexist. They're not mutually exclusive. The Lord's sovereign ability to reveal himself and our genuine responsibility to respond to him with a humble heart. And that's what we see colliding here. The Lord reveals himself to the ones in, in, to whom he chooses to reveal himself. And in a sense, in Romans chapter one, we are all without excuse, meaning he has revealed himself to all of us. The law of God is written on all of our hearts. In fact, creation preaches the gospel to us all around us. And so then he says in verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So then the, the stumbling block becomes Will we humble ourselves to receive from the Lord, to be one who learns and sit at, sits at his feet, who stops taking up all these burdens and yokes of this life and instead takes on his yoke of just saying, yes, Jesus. That is our new yoke in him. It's just saying, yes, King Jesus. This is so important for us to realize in this noisy, noisy age. To the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. I was reminded of a trip I took to, uh, to the nation's capital, to D.C., uh, to the U.S. Capitol, specifically. Uh, in the U.S. Capitol, there is a, a hall called the Statuary Hall, or nicknamed the, the Whispering Gallery. And there's one location within the Whispering Gallery or the Statuary Hall where you, a person can stand and another person could be 20, 25 feet away on the other side. And because of the acoustical phenomena of the room, uh, somebody can whisper on the other side of the room and that person can hear them very, very clearly. It's, it's weird. I mean, it's really bizarre what's all happening in that room. But I liken that picture to what's needed right now in this hour for a people to still themselves in a position which is not so much so a geographical position, but a position of our hearts to say, Lord, you are enough. I'm gonna hear from you. Just like I started when I heard from you and I surrendered my life to you, I wanna continue in that way. And we position ourselves in that place and you hear his whisper above all the noise. You know, there's all these other people hustling and bustling around that hall. That's a very loud uh, gallery within the US Capitol. People coming and going, tours going. 
media, in and out. But there's one spot where you can still yourself to hear the whisper. That's what the Lord is looking for in our generation. The anticipation of heaven is the revealing of Jesus. And therefore, that should be the heart cry of his church, right? Is the revealing of Jesus. If we don't see him clearly or correctly, if we don't hear him correctly, if we don't see him. And please, I, use the, I lean into the analogy of hearing, but that's, that's not to negate like spiritual eyes to see. We also see him, we hear him. Both are almost synonymous in the spiritual. But how can, a, how can the church be the church if we don't, his body, if we don't see him clearly, if we don't hear from him clearly? So I wanna, I wanna get into this. There's three things that I, I believe are at stake if we, don't get this, if we don't get this right. If we don't have ears to hear. If we, firstly is this, if we don't have ears to hear, We hear the words of the gospel, we hear the, the words of the message of Jesus, and we just add bigger burdens onto our life and the life of others. This is the human tendency towards religion, where we cling to this wrong understanding of God's holiness, and we reject his holy love and his sufficiency, and so we make up all these arbitrary rules detached from relationship and we heap on these burdens upon ourselves, detached from a heart relationship with the Lord. If we don't have ears to hear, we will just hear his message and put it in the category of all other religions, which is works to somehow impress the Lord, impress God. Yeah, I oftentimes, as I, as I sit with people on a weekly basis, they have a hard time surrendering their life to the Lord because of of hang-ups and habits and addictions that they have. And they say, well, I just don't know if I can come to the Lord, surrender to the Lord if I, you know, I like certain music or I like going to the bars or whatever. We get it wrong when we emphasize the rules over the rulership of Jesus over our lives. We start in that place. And he will take you by your hand as you surrender your heart to him fully. And yes, that, that encompasses the way in which we live and the practices of our life and the choices and the values of our daily life, our behavior, it does impact that. But we get it wrong when we heap on other people, arbitrary rules detached from relationship with the Lord. And we need to make sure we get that right as we proclaim the good news of Jesus to a world and to the next generation. I remember walking into an, uh, an auditorium when I was a kid and I had a ball cap on and this, this old man ripped my hat off my head. Say, said, this is the house of the Lord. You, gotta, you, gotta wear, you can't wear a hat in the house of the Lord. And that's like very, a startling thing for a young boy for his you know, hat to be, or his head to be scandalized by this old man. <laughs> but there's these, these arbitrary rules that maybe have a scriptural inference, but if we're not turning people towards the rulership of Jesus in their life, those rules are meaningless. And in fact, they become a heavy burden and a yoke upon their life in which they were never meant to carry. So we don't downplay the surrender of people's lives and those things, but we start in that place. First, surrender your life fully to him and his rulership in your life. And King Jesus will walk you down this path of dying to yourself and your preferences. Before you know it, your heart won't even want those things anyways. 
You won't want to fill your life with filth and, and stuff that is fleeting. This was a major um, stumbling block in the early church as, as specifically the Jewish people were trying to reconcile what the role of the Mosaic law was for them now that Jesus, is, now that the Messiah has been revealed. And so they had the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. The, the apostles, they, they stand up and they, they make this statement. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? This whole Mosaic law, which was a way to put off God's judgment for another year, to put off his judgment until the, the fullness of the Messiah, the full of, fullness of God's redemptive plan was revealed. That was, a, that was a burden nobody was able to carry. But he says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of, of the Lord Jesus and just as they will. So that's now our sufficiency. Jesus is our Messiah. He is sufficient for us. So it will be for the Gentiles. And Jesus calls out the Pharisees in a very similar way where he says to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And he says this, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. He's not, he's not negating the, the truthfulness of the old covenant or the truthfulness of God's ways of working and his best plan for our life. But he's saying, like, flee from the way the Pharisees do it because they're hypocrites. The motivation of their heart is not to please the Lord. The motivation of their heart is to impress other people. Therefore, flee from it. It's like the Mosaic law is good. Do it, practice it out of a place of submission and love relationship with him. They tie up heavy burdens, verse four, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. This is critical for us if we're going to carry the message of Jesus into our city and into our region. I've found that this is one of the main reasons people stay distant from his church and from community because this has not been conveyed well to the world around us. The world has often not seen a people that are extravagantly in love with Jesus, but instead found people thumping their Bibles over people's heads. But God has won my heart, therefore I willingly surrender all my preferences and addictions and hangups day after day after day. He's won my heart. And that cannot be denied in this world by people that desperately want to give them their hearts to something, to someone who's real. Verse two is that, or uh, second thing is this. This is what's at stake. First is we hear the words and we just add bigger burdens onto our life and the life of others. Two is this, we hear words, the, the words of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the gospel, and we get puffed up with an accumulation of information. This is so relevant in this information age where we can easily equate mental ascent and accumulation of information to revelation to our hearts. They're different. They're vastly different. There's an ocean apart from the two. The fruit of his word being revealed to our lives and to our hearts brings more humility and more of the fruit of the spirit, not arrogance. So where we see the fruit of pride bubbling up within us, 
or in others, it's being shown, that is not the result of the gospel. That's not the result of the message of Jesus. There is this weightiness to the word of God being revealed to our hearts that wrecks us day after day. Like, really. And I have a lot of respect for scholars, for the academics, like strength finders, for those that have done core class. I'm a learner. That's my number one strength. I love to learn. I'm a nerd as all day long. I love it. But I've found that I have to be very careful in my learning, in my academic pursuits. And, and I'm not saying this is a formula, but for every hour I spend in like technical study of God's word, I need to spend another hour on my knees saying, God, allow this to be revealed to my heart now. Like, let it go beyond my head. Let it go to my heart. Lord, let, let it transform me from glory to glory. Let me be transformed into your likeness. This is what John chapter six, this is what Jesus says in John chapter six. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That is the discerning difference between just information and knowledge versus his words that are infused with the spirit of God. They bring spirit and life to us. So there's a vast difference between acquiring information and the revelation of the spirit upon our lives. This is critical for us to understand as we raise up the next generation. The key with kids, with our young people, I'm, I'm humbly trying to pursue this myself in my own household, is immersing my kids in the Bible and in the Word without allowing them to falsely fall into the deceptions of biblical knowledge being equated to somehow personal revelation of that Word to their lives. Kids growing up in the church are most susceptible to that, so we need to be humble Humbly uh, cautious in that as we disciple our kids in the word, amen? It has to be life to them. And my aim is to expose my kids to scripture. For the 18 years they're under my roof, I'm going to expose them to scripture day after day after day that they learn all the stories, that they learn all the scripture, but I also need to supplement that with a, a heavy dose of the need of the spirit of God to bring that word to life upon their, upon their, their lives in a way that makes it relevant to their, their own transformation. Third is this. If we don't have ears to hear, we'll make his message to be whatever we want it to be. We essentially make Jesus into whoever we want him to be. We fall into a whole different type of error entirely. This is getting to be a big issue in our current culture. Or we have social justice Jesus, we have celebrity Jesus, we have political Jesus. Jesus and his message becomes hijacked for personal gain, for personal means. It's not the gospel. Social justice Jesus is not the gospel. In fact, the church gets it all wrong when social reform um, becomes preeminent over his presence and over revival, over the gospel being proclaimed. The whole celebrity personality thing in the name of Jesus is abhorrent. And I am I'm so glad to see that being corrected right now in the church. Isn't that not so refreshing? Like all the, the platforms and pedestals of celebrity Christianity are being uh, called out as bankrupt. But we've fallen all so much into the third, which is political Jesus. We fall into the same trappings 
of Jesus' time, where we want a Jesus that can accomplish our political gains and our political uh, battles, but we don't want a Jesus on which we actually have to die, die to ourselves, who actually led the way to the cross. This is itching ears syndrome. So they hear the message, they see the works, but they manipulate it to suit their own purposes. Rather than us being transformed into the likeness of Christ, we transform Jesus into the likeness of humanity. We want to receive a God that looks like us. Paul called this out in Galatians chapter one. I'm going to call the worship team forward for us to be able to respond. But he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Like these ones who received Jesus, they had ears to hear what he was saying and they surrendered their lives to him. Now all of a sudden they're, they're twisting the gospel to something different. He says, which is not another? There can't be another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Be, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And he repeats it. As we've said before, so, so I now say it again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. So just so it's crystal clear, he says it twice. <laughs> Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just as we started, let us continue. He is enough. His kingship and rulership in your life is enough. And the political turbulent winds will be blowing till Jesus returns. Celebrities will be vying for your attention and your allegiance. But there is only one king, only one celebrity, and it's Jesus and there is social reform and social justice coming through a church that's radiantly alive with the power and the presence of Jesus. I was actually recently reminded of uh, a quote by Charles Finney, who was one of the leaders of the Second Great, Great Awakening, and also a leader in the abolitionist movement. Like He was an instrumental part of uh, facilitating the Underground um, Railroad. I mean, and so, so in terms of action from a believer, he was front lines. But he called out the church in that whole um, debate of slavery and the church's role in combating slavery. And he said, let us never allow social reform to overtake the proclamation of the gospel or how he would call it, the, the promotion of revival in the church. Social reform always needs to be an outflow, a ripple effect, uh, the fruit of revival in the church. A church that's alive will impact the world around it. debating how much I want. I'm going to share parts of this next week as well. Uh, if you'd all stand to your feet, I want us to respond. Just, just listen to this. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his coming death, which was a stumbling block for them, you know? They didn't like to think about this fact that their Messiah, their Savior, was actually going to be humiliated on a Roman cross. And so he says this, this is Luke chapter 9, as he's telling them about 
his coming death. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Just think about that. Let these words sink into your ears. He's using very peculiar language because again, he's invoking that same idea of to the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So like, whether you like it or not, guys, I'm going there. I'm going to give my life willingly. This is God's plan. This is the father's plan. So let these words sink into your ears. Like let the word of God have time enough to pierce through all the clutter and biases and pride to get to your heart. My life verse is Isaiah chapter 50, verses four and five, which I pray pretty much every single day. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue so I might have a word to sustain the weary. He's opened my ears, or morning by morning he wakens me to hear like one being taught. He's opened my ears and I've not been rebellious. But the, the language that Isaiah uses to describe his ears being opened is like your, 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 his ears being carved out. Like there's all this stuff like prohibiting the actual word of God being uh, penetrating his heart. I believe that's very good imagery that aligns with what Jesus was talking about here in Luke chapter nine. I want us to respond to the Lord right now. I believe there's some clutter that we've allowed to harden our hearts. There's some misunderstandings that we've allowed to be a stumbling block to us. And the Lord is calling for a people that will hear what he is saying in this hour and be fully submitted to him. So if you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes in this place right now. This is how we start and this is how we continue. Having ears to hear, Spirit, what you're saying. I want us to respond in two ways. First is this, for those in this place, you need to surrender their lives to Christ. They need to get their lives right with God. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And secondly is for those who believe they've hardened their hearts. They haven't been responsive to the Lord. They've cheapened his word or cheapened relationship with him in a way that's made it something other than it is. And the Lord's giving us an invitation to respond with tender, humble hearts. And there is this promise in the gospel that yes, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He has a sufficient outpouring of grace to be poured out upon our lives as we humble ourselves and receive from him. So if you're here in this place and you're part of that first group, you'd say, Drew, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I need to make a commitment to follow him. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I need to return to my first love. If that's you in this place, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? I saw one hand. If that was you, honestly, even if that, even if you didn't raise your hand, this is the prayer that you can pray. Let's all pray this prayer right now and surrender to the Lord. Repeat after me. Lord, this morning, I come to the end of myself. I surrender my all to you. From this moment forward, you are Savior. You are Lord. You are king over my life. I acknowledge you as God, the uncreated one, the perfect savior, 
the only sufficiency for my sin issue. And I believe that my conscience is cleansed right now. All guilt can be gone right now as I look to you as my everything. From this day forward, Lord, no turning back. Amen. Amen. If you need to respond to the Lord in that second way, I want you to take a moment this morning to respond to him. I believe this is an important, and I'm going to share a little bit more about this on uh, next week. But I think this is an important message for our church in this hour. First, have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying right now. So Lord, as a church family, we repent of hardening our hearts in any way. We repent of twisting your message into something that suits our own needs or desires. We repent of being puffed up with just an acquiring of knowledge and information. You are our everything. We repent of dead religion, which is legalism and the clinging to rules without any sort of rulership in our lives, without any sort of relationship in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd awaken our hearts to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Monday through Sunday, that we would be a people fully in love with you. And from that place, we're able to receive fresh bread, fresh bread for this day, which is life to our soul, life to our bodies, reinvigorates us to live for you fully in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.